What can Riflecraft do for you? There's a lot of things Riflecraft can do for you. First of all, it directly supports this podcast. If you want to be a supporter of this podcast, go to Riflecraft.com and get a monthly supporter subscription. For not very much money, right, like shooting a magazine of ammo a month, you will support this podcast. You will get a login to the website where you can log your craft drills, you can log your positional drills, you could take notes, and it'll interpret some of that data to information that's useful for your training and also keeping a track record over time. I think that even though we don't talk a lot about journaling or something like that, it is pretty sweet to be able to have a record over time of your shots. And that is great. You also get access to another podcast called The Subcast, where I take topics from here, The Straight Dope, and I go into them a little bit deeper and provide information and thoughts and opinions that I don't necessarily share here to the public because um, it's just worth something. Another thing that you can do is you can get shirts. You can go buy yourself a bunch of shirts for you and your friends. You can sign up for online training. We have the 4 Plus 1 program, which will definitely require effort on your part, but that effort will translate to actual results. Shooters are going from mid-pack to top 10. Shooters are being more confident in their hunting, and they're seeing actual, real, tangible results. You've got to put in the work. I provide the feedback, and I scale that for four weeks after the initial assessment week. And we, you know, we talk through emails and stuff like that. You can also sign up for one-on-one coaching and other things. So hit up riflecraft, R-I-F-L-E-K-R-A-F-T dot com and get closer to your shooting goals. Uh, do you want to do the ammo manufacturing or, or do you want to, I don't know, something, something that's like entertaining and kind of fun and funny, but also huh? I guess well, it's legal. So it's serious, but well, let, let, let's talk about, uh, I, I think one that's kind of, kind of, uh, I mean, uh, there's two that I kind of really want to cover. One of the ones I really want to okay. cover is like a lot of people don't really understand what happens when you lose a firearm and that kind of stuff uh what sure. happens if like you send a suppressor off a, and in this in my instance i've seen people send suppressors off of helicopters or drop them out of vehicles or things like that and can't find them and stuff like that sure. uh so I, I think that would be an interesting one because it always has some funny ass stories uh okay <laughs> and then uh an, another one i think that we can also talk about is uh you know uh, I, I i think one of the things we want to kind of everybody wants to understand is like uh uh uh, i kind of want to talk about like you know kind of the the self-defense mantra and then like everybody who is training not training and so on and so forth with their firearms but they go out and they they're so ready to purchase certain things like Mm -hmm. and the one i want to cover in particular is like uscca like or like uh concealed carry insurance and things like that Okay, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that uh, because, like, from from what we see from a legal perspective versus what we versus what we see, I, I kind of want to talk about legally. You can beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. You know that kind of stuff. Sure. And and uh, you know, 
uh, I think I think that stuff is, is, is stuff we want to look at. Uh, also, uh, you know, uh, so I, I yeah, so I think the lost firearms, NFA items, things like that, lost uh, lost guns, lost anything in general, uh, you know, and then also just uh, in the sense of like the the self defense and, and and so on and so forth, the the deadly force concepts and things like that. A lot of people don't understand the difference between like what deadly force is and what it isn't and what you can be approached with and what you can't be approached with and why we all do what we do and we train and we, we become more proficient with a firearm. I think that one's a little bit more serious. I think the lost firearms gets a little bit funny. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's start with the lost firearms. And okay. um, yeah, I think that's good. And, and even though, well, even though it isn't really lost firearms, I've taken flights where they've shipped my rifles to the wrong airports and oh, yeah. you're going to a competition and you get there and they're like, well, it could be a couple of days. And you're thinking what in the world? Uh, and, um, yeah, but, uh, anyway, I, yeah, I have, I have a couple of funny stories, but, but yeah, that would be, that would be awesome. Like, so I guess it's a giant web of, all these scenarios, right? You see movies or you hear about people finding guns or getting guns on the streets. But when you purchase a firearm, that purchase is recorded at an FFL. So I, I am, yeah, I imagine that if you're the last known person to transfer that, there's some serious ramifications. And then you tack on NFA items. Uh, so why don't you hit me with a couple, couple stories about kind of weird things you've seen with lost oh man um i could go into the the the, the 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 plethora of different scenarios that i've heard and the goofy ways people have lost guns and then some of the more serious ways that people have lost guns but um you know we talk about all the time like what happens if you lose an nfa item or what happens if, if it goes missing or something like that well first of all let's let's be realistic here let's hope most people uh treat their nfa items a little bit more uh, securely than they treat some of the other possessions that they have, seeing as it's kind of a pain in the butt to get one. And because of that, you have trusts, uh, you have individual transfers and all that stuff, so you want to keep them. But one of the funniest things I've ever seen is is I have a, I, I had a helicopter hunting outfit that I work with uh, from time to time, a couple of them actually. And of course, one of their biggest things about helicopter hunting is, is that they want everybody to run a can they want everybody to run a brass catch uh, in all sorts of different things because, and I understand the pilot doesn't want to get pelted if you're sitting on shotgun side, your ejection ports to the right side, you're shooting out of the left side of the helicopter, and or you're shooting out of the, 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 the pilot side of the helicopter, and he's just getting tagged with hot brass and muzzle blast if you don't have a can, right? So they always require these guys to have a can. Well, this, this dated back to the... Uh, I think it was the Silencer Co. Saker, if I remember correctly. It may may have been something else, but I remember it being a, a Saker that they had. And there's nothing wrong with Sakers or anything like that. But we all know back in the day, uh, you could you could user error mount a Saker because it was a ratchet uh, to the end of the gun, based on that little that little mount they ran. But uh, it's been documented that many people have sent Sakers downrange. Well. Imagine doing it in a helicopter. <laughs> this guy, I kid you not, is in a helicopter. He's flying about 
I don't know, 50 feet in the air and they're on a group of pigs. And, um, this, 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 this outfit is based out of, uh, South Texas, uh, beyond San Antonio. At least it was on a ranch anyway, for that time, this guy's shooting and, uh, it's going fine. And all of a sudden, I guess they mismounted the, the saker or something came loose and he shoots that can straight off the front of his gun. And, uh, of course, (laughs) of course, I mean, he's dropped hogs in the process. So there's like a field of dead hogs. Right. And then one dead (laughs) suppressor. Right. So he's sitting there and he's, he's, he's launched it off and the guy doesn't even really notice that he's launched his can off. Right. And we actually legit go looking for this can. Like later on, we find out what field, you know, remember what field he is he's in and where we think he may have lost it because the, Pilot knows real quick when he starts hearing muzzle blast, and uh, so we we take a uh, play a Polaris Ranger out there. We start looking over, and we're just going from dead pig to dead pig because we assume you know like NFA item, all that stuff. And I'm explaining to the guys all what they have to do. You know, they need to report the item stolen. They need to have a serial number and all this other stuff. And all these guys who carry NFA items never think about the form four they're supposed to have on them. You know, they don't ever keep about. They never keep a. a, a list of their serial numbers or really just any idea they just kind of say oh well we have all this stuff so <laughs> anyways luckily this was only this thing was only lost for like i don't know two days i think i think the can was only lost for two days because it was but the that is but the monday after we shot the pigs on saturday did another hunt on sunday but we uh we're on our way back to uh to dallas fort worth and we get a call, landowner, uh, that owns the particular property that we're flying over. And he legit finds this suppressor. Like, I mean, he, I, don't, I don't think he said it was in the pig. But, I mean, it had bludgeoned a pig. Like, you're, Dude, talking, about a, you're talking about a helicopter. And it, it might it was, be like a rare thing, right? Like. Not only do you shoot the suppressor <laughs> off, but it hurts something in the process. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not, he, not the user. Launched, I mean, there was a. He said when he picked up the can, it was it was right next to a pig, and like when I don't know how close it really was, but he took a picture of the can, and the can had a metric ton of blood on there, and and so did the pig's head, and also a very very like burn mark on the pig's like fur. So, yeah, I mean, if you've ever been helicopter hunting and, and you really want to get into the whole aspect of that, you really don't serve ammo because you want to have a good time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we learned, uh, I think he's the first recorded suppressor kill. That's what we're going to call it. Uh, not suppressed kill, suppressor kill. But we what already... happens when, what, what, yeah, so like, let's say the guy didn't find it. Like, now what? Well, so, so, well, that's the thing. So, we immediately reported it lost because once Saturday rolled around, we realized we couldn't find it in that field. We assumed it was either gone, stuck in some mud pile, something like that. We'll never find it until some random farmer unearths it, like, you know, weeks, days from now with, with whatever tractor they have, right? Or may get buried forever. We don't know. And so that Saturday night, uh, we decided if we didn't find it Sunday, we were leaving Sunday. As long as he was leaving the can and that can was no longer going to be in his quote unquote reasonable possession at that point, we had to report it. So uh, I had the guy report the can stolen uh, or not stolen, excuse me, um, 
lost and you know imagine writing the 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 you know writing out what needs to happen in this instance and you're like yeah i was in a helicopter i was hunt i was hog hunting and this is back when helicopter hunting was brand new uh, to texas like this is years and years back and basically uh he had to report it so once the landowner found the can we actually had to go back south of san antonio to pick it up and then uh the can was completely screwed up and because we had reported it stolen we were instructed by the atf to submit it for destruction because they had already wiped it. It had already been marked. So that was an interesting scenario. They they take the serial number and you can't do anything like, oh shit, turns out JK, it was was in my underwear drawer. Yeah, you you can't undestroy something that you've quote unquote already reported that is lost because if it ever gets found, the only thing they have in the database is that it's been in that database, right? And now it's been in that database. Yeah. That that object is basically kryptonite. It's untouchable. So, right. um, but what happens if somebody finds it and uses it, takes it, or you know, it, it falls into the hands of the ETF? Well, so so that 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 goes that goes in two ways, right? That's why you always report it stolen, and that's the reason why once you do, it's kind of a no no return um, policy. Because but the cool thing was, is, you know, once we did that, it was reported stolen. I think Silence Crow actually covered the can under warranty because we had it documented what happened. But that's besides the point. Um, when you deal with something like that, unfortunately, when you report a firearm or whatever stolen or, or stolen is different. Stolen can be returned to you, but basically destroyed for inability to find, then they assume that if it does get found, they need to record that it was found. And then they also need to, you know, they need to get rid of the item. Now, I think the ATF now has no policy that basically, or that has a policy that says, if you do find something, it is intact. It was lost. You can actually report it found. But back then we got clear instructions that it need to be submitted for disposal. So, uh, you know, the guy was lucky because the only thing he was out was a $200 tax stamp in the end, thanks to uh, psycho's policy. But, you know, we yeah, talk about crazy. Yeah, we, and we talk about people, you know, selling firearms, losing firearms, all sorts of different things all the time. But, you know, the, the thing I'll tell you from a legal perspective is, is if you're if you have one of these items, you know, the, the most cautious thing that you could always do is, is if you keep updating your trust, because as your trust gets updated in the Schedule A in the back, you should have a Schedule A if you have multiple mem- uh, multi um, uh, what do you call it uh, items in there. But if you update the Schedule A, if something ever happens to a particular can, and I'm going to hope for a moment here that you're smart enough to know what can's on what gun which, and what can you're shooting. But if you ever lose a can, you immediately go back to your trust. And you look at the NFA item model, serial number, and everything like that that you have recorded. So you can always do it. It's like, uh, you know, it's just a safety precaution for everybody. So those are the items you don't want to get screwed around because it's like you said, if somebody does bother to find it 5, 10, 15 years down the road and happens to have a sacred mount and the can happens to be in good condition and he cleans it out and decides to do something nefarious with it, then you've already reported it gone. And that's the paper trail that you need to keep. So, yeah, we've, gotcha. we've, we've dealt with, uh, we've dealt with uh, numerous, numerous people 
with quote unquote lost firearms. And I've tried to explain people because, uh, you know, we we're going through a lot of gun legislation lately or attempted gun legislation. And we always hear all the jokes about people saying, Oh, I lost all my guns in a boating accident. Right. Well, that's great. If you lost all your guns in a boating accident, you should probably still report them stolen. If it was for, and now if you didn't really lose them and somebody comes and asks you that you lost them in a boating accident, they're going to ask why you didn't report them. Makes sense. So a lot of people don't understand the whole concept of saying, yeah, I, I, I lost my stuff in, in this or that. Well, you're supposed to reasonably report any lost firearms or anything like that. Cause if it is really lost, then it's accounted for. If it ever gets found, um, the, the law enforcement guys use the leads program. And then if, if, if it is something that you're joking about being lost, you probably shouldn't joke about being lost because if you turn up with your own firearms one day and you reported it lost, yeah, there's a, there's a whole process for that. <laughs> so, I mean, with all the people wondering... So, so now, what are the major things that people just need to be aware of? Yeah, well, like the, the specific processes that, that people should just be kind of on top of to make sure they don't get themselves in hot water other than don't lose stuff. Like well, how, how do people prepare themselves? So the easiest way to prepare is this. Uh, I have all my firearms and stuff cataloged. Um, I don't keep it on my computer or anything like that. I just have a catalog. I have a hard form that I keep in my, my safe. Okay. That way I know every gun that I have. And, you know, people, people sell things and then forget they sold things and all sorts of different things. We'll go into that in a second. But, um, you know, you, you, everything that you have in your possession, you know, you should always, always, always keep a catalog. Of that way, if you ever have to go back and take an account for anything like that, or somebody comes barking at your door and saying, well, we got a 4473 with your name on it with this gun, and you have something that shows that you've gotten rid of it, whether it be a bill of sale or something like that, or you have reported lost or anything like that, keep a spreadsheet and keep it in your, keep it in your safe, you know? And the reason why you always do that is, is that you can always report the exact serial number, the make, model, and everything that's that's gone. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want anybody to know what guns I have. You're not letting anybody know what you have. You're letting yourself know what guns you have. And if you're anything like some of the enthusiasts that I know, you don't just have like one for this, one for that, and one for whatever. You probably collected quite a few over a period of time if you're an enthusiast, particularly if you're a sports shooter, hunter, or anything like that. I know hunters that have, you know, 50, 60 rifles, right? So there's no way they know what everything is. So they should keep the catalog. So that's the first thing. Keep a catalog, uh, you know, and that way, you know, your serial numbers, you know, everything. And then when you sell or move or do anything with them, you update them. It also makes it easier because, um, you know, if you have your stuff, then, and, 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 you know, you know where everything's at. Life becomes a little bit easier for everybody uh, in any situation for that matter. And nobody sure. says you have to disclose to anybody what your catalog is, but you know what your catalog is and that's what really matters. So that, that, that's, that's the one thing. The second thing is, is that if you ever do legitimately lose a firearm or lose a can or anything like that, keep in mind firearms that are lost, stolen or anything like that should be reported to the local police as well. Because ATF needs to know when you lose an NFA item and you should report that as well at lost firearm to the ATF or to, to the ATF, but your local police needs to know because the chance of somebody finding it and then using it immediately thereafter, 
can be pretty high. Also, if you report it to your local police, it'll go up in leads. And if it goes up in leads and it ever ends up at a pawn shop, leads will pop up and they'll be like, yeah, this is a stolen firearm. So that's always a, that's always a good thing. But you should know your procedures and you should know what departments that you have to report to. With regular firearms, you report to police and the ATF. And then with actual uh, NFA items, you report to the ATF and local police as well. But ATF being the most important in that instance. So I would say police and ATF. And the other instance, ATF for sure, immediately. And then follow up with police so they can put it at least. But yeah. it's a- Well, that's pretty straightforward. That's a good idea with it. I mean, right. Like, it, people that only have one or two firearms um much easier people to have 50 shit but my neighbor moved two years ago we were moving stuff and went into his, his garage and noticed he had like a series of very large safes he opened them up and, and you know he's one of those guys we're talking about he can get 300 or more rifles that he'd collected over the years and um most of them were unfired but it, yeah, but if something happened to those, right, there's no way he would just be like, oh, yeah, I also had this one and this one. Well, and, and the reason one. why you well, you catalog something, too, is if somebody comes and asking you about a firearm, you're like, no, it's in my safe. Let me take you over here to show you my safe because it's in my catalog and it goes missing one day. At least you're able to find a root of where it may have disappeared from. Right. But a lot of people don't do that. And again, that's something that I actually started doing the last few years simply because you know i've i've acquired I've, I've accumulated a decent a decent collection from the stuff that i shoot competitively all the way to the stuff that i just you know fun stuff right and at, at, when i clean my when i clean my gun room i i use the catalog it's so much easier because i don't know i don't know about you but i've had it once once or twice before where i'm like oh man i totally forgot i had this thing <laughs> It's out of sight, out of mind, right? And those guys that have three, four hundred guns or something like that that have never ever fired one of them, they don't know they have it. I knew a collector that had probably, he, I think, it was the largest collector I knew in the area. He was a former NRA VP, um, but he had like, I want to say his his overall collection was worth like three point four million dollars, and he donated like two million of it to the NRA museum when he passed away. I mean, so uh, it was it was a very very interesting situation. But if you have a catalog too, it goes back to what we were talking about with the trust and knowing what you're like, I think in our last podcast, you were like, oh, my mom would, would never know like if there was a can here or what it was and turn it into like a vase or something like that, right? But if you have a catalog of something in your safe and they get in your safe and they start wondering what all this stuff is, you got a catalog. They can look at it and be like, oh yeah, this is what this is. 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 So, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't really call this, I mean, I, I would tell you, like, we run into, as a firm, a plethora of different scenarios from lost firearms from individuals, but we also run into it from a, from a series of issues with, like, manufacturers. Oh. Man, yeah, and it's not that they lose things, it's that when you're sitting there and you're pumping out guns in a, in a, in a you know, machining and everything like that and assembling and stuff like that. Inevitably, you have parts that don't with other parts necessarily. They may work with another part, but they might work with this. Like this upper may not fit this lower very well or this lower may not fit this upper very well. 
And when we talk with them about it, we also explain to them, look, you have something that doesn't work, whatever, you need to catalog or you need to take that item and put it in a bin, something aside, right? So if you go back and reclaim it down the road, or if if something like somebody comes in, well, I thought I manufactured this serial number, but not that serial number. That's the most common thing you see when they screw up and they start, you know, finagling serial numbers and stuff like that. You see that really often because they pull one lower and it has a serial number on it and they realize it doesn't work quite well, They're doing whatever they're doing. So they'll, they'll switch it out for another one because a customer hasn't taken it into possession yet. And so they'll do it, manufacture it, and then, you know, sell it. Well, that's great, except for in some instances, they're, they're, they're manufacturing the lower at the time the guy has it in his hands. So now you have a manufactured lower that's on your books that you just kind of put on the table, right? And somewhere down the road, like that gets shoved into a bin or gets put under the table. That's what happens in my office a lot. Like I put things under tables and stuff like that, or I put them there. So I store them for safekeeping. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. And then I'll come back and I'll be like, oh, snap, I got this lower. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 all examples of, of things that we've seen and done and, and, and dealt with, you know? So, like, you'd be surprised how often the questions for lost firearms comes up to us. And I would I would urge everybody, again, I think the most important thing for everybody to do is catalog. Catalog your stuff. Don't show anybody, but catalog it for your own for your own information right right and it, it just comes back to the you know if you're listening and thinking like well that would never happen to me that's pretty much what everybody always says until it happens and then you think shit well why did I mean, that happen? here's a good example i knew of somebody who i was may or may not have been related to me uh they got into these uh like this this hideaway furniture stuff you know have you ever seen those things like yes. the, the, yeah, the yeah. furniture with false yeah, bottoms yeah. and cubby holes and all sorts of stuff. I think there was one called the ledge locker that I thought was pretty cool one time. But they would have these these cubby hole things that they would be using, right? And I kid you not, he legit lost a pistol inside a coffee table for like five years. He well, didn't know where he, he put it. Something. He'd buy something like that and take it home and then somebody opens it up and it's like, what? And you got well, some fucking John Wick action. Well, you, you know how we ended up finding that pistol, right? <laughs> we found that pistol because he couldn't find it forever. No. And he never reported it stolen because he was a, he was absolutely sure it was somewhere in his house. He just didn't know where. And when he sold the coffee table before he moved, we picked up the coffee table and we heard a big clunk. <laughs> nice. And we were like, we were like, the hell's that? And we open up all the drawers and it's not in the drawers. We're like, well, I don't know. And then we're kind of like, you know, can we see where the clunk is coming from? So you see like three big dudes sitting there like shaking a coffee table like a bunch of cavemen. Like, what's going on? And sure enough, as soon as we find out, he didn't even, we, we finally find out the compartment it's in, but he didn't even know how to unlock the compartment. So we ended up having to like uh, it was like a magnet latch or something like that. So we ended up having to get a strong magnet, find where the magnet latch was, unlatch the magnet or the, the latch with the magnet, and then the, we could pull the gun out. And, and then he was like, oh, man, I've been looking for that. We were like, how long have you been looking for that? He's like, five years. We're like, 
yeah, I probably would have stole. I probably reported that one stolen already because if it would have ended up somewhere wrong, I don't want somebody busting down my door for that. But yeah, that's the kind of goofy stuff you see all the time. And uh, so I, I always tell people again, if you catalog everything, you know, you don't have to tell everybody where you put it or anything like that. But if you catalog everything in your safe, that's a very, very good first step. And I hope that most people have a decent amount of organization skills. Uh, but there, there are very few people I know that own enough firearms that aren't like, you know, I know what's what and where it is in my house and everything like that. Because they, if you're anything like me, I have all my stuff like organized. Well, I did. Now my gun room looks like a hurricane wind. But I did at one point. I swear to God. I swear to God. But um, yeah, we, we set everything up kind of make everything, you know, organized. We put them in a certain way. Like my, my wife looks at me like I'm just extremely OCD when it comes to that stuff because I'm like, no, no, no. All the long guns go here. All the long range guns go down here. All the short range, fun SBRs, all that stuff go over here. All of the pistol caliber carbines go over here. All the pistols go over here. And I have everything set up that way. And I have them actually cataloged with that way too. So uh, I always know when something's missing. Now, I will say this. I recently found out I'm missing something, but at least I'm not missing a gun. I'm missing very expensive STI, or not STI, uh, SVI 2011 mods. And I'm kind of sad because they're like 140 bucks a piece. Because you consulted your logbook? You're like, where is that? Uh, yeah, I, well, I didn't really have to have that one a logbook. This gun has five dedicated mags, and I can only find two of them now. Yeah, so I I don't know where they're at. Uh, hopefully, I'll find them. Um, I'm sure I will find. Them. But again, uh, they they managed. Man, I to, think uh, we hit this one and relax. Yeah, we, we we like we got this one covered up pretty good. And I've been thinking about this story from Hunter Sighton at my range, and so I'm going to kind of derail the flow and change the subject. For a second, and see if I can convince you to to jump tracks here for a sec. But yeah. um, at Hunter Side, and people bring in all sorts of hunting rifles, and I mean, right? I'm not even going to go into the spectrum. Some are brand new, and some are very old. And this dude had an M1. I think he got it from that auction, you know, refurbished whatever system, and throws it down. You know, he's showing it off to his buddies, and he pulls up this big. Uh, ammo can and on the side of it it's got tape that says you know grand ammo and uh boom oh no dude he went so so that's like holy shit like is he okay everything's fine uh he's he's okay he has some cuts on his arm there's literally parts like in the walls the left and the right uh blue that you know i mean you know, completely destroyed the rifle. And you're looking at, what the hell just happened? And then, and then somebody points out, like, ammo cans open. Dude, and it, and it looks like, like, uh, the Skittles of ammo. You're like, that is not the oh, same. Oh, no. Story. It's all different colors, different shapes, different sizes. Like, I mean, not, I mean, and, and they asked him, like, did you load this? And he goes, no. I was at a gun show and this guy had, you know, dozens of these ammo cans, you know, with, with different calibers and 
I needed grand ammo, so I grabbed that, and here we are. And people started looking at it, and there was literally different. I, I mean, I don't know how that person can get away with just selling that kind of stuff, but what, what that well, you know, you have that all the way to you know high end federal ammo that people you know you can basically run the ballistics and predict the speed and bc and all that stuff for decade after decade after decade of consistent performance like what at what point do law firms get involved when ammunition is at center stage oh okay well that's a that's a loaded question because yeah. when we talk about ammunition ammunition is explosive it's combustible it is it is it is an ordinance okay and the uh the, the thing about ammunition is, is that because it's inherently destructive, uh, and I'm not saying it's a destructive device, I just mean like the, the nature of it is to destroy something that you pointed at, right? Or that is a projectile. Um, ammunition carries with it what we call at law like strict liability. Strict liability basically says like if something goes wrong and it's the result of, if, if it's reasonably the result of the, the, the object that, that is considered strict liability, Ultimately, you're found at fault. Now, the question of the damages becomes something that uh, that that need to be addressed. So, I mean, I, I, I could never understand. I can't ever recall once in my life I've gone to a gun show and been willing to purchase goober ammo. That's what I've called it, goober ammo. Because you got a lot of these guys out there that load this goober ammo. And they sell it at gun shows. Because realistically, there's nothing that they really need in order to, 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 make, to make some ammo at home. They can make some ammo and, and, and sell it and so on and so forth. But there's no real restrictions on, on that uh, at, at a small scale. So the problem they end up running into is, is that these guys, a lot of these guys who, you know, I mean, Chris, I'm sure you, you fancy yourself a pretty good hand loader, right? And I know some of the other guys out there that are phenomenal hand loaders for their guns because they're loading to the hottest, fastest, highest pressure they can load while still safely operating their firearm, or in some instances, barely safely enough to fire, uh, to operate their firearm, you know? And, and the problem is these guys go, Oh, this is phenomenal ammo for rifle a. Now the experienced shooters know that rifle a may not work in or, or rifle a with ammo. A may not necessarily work with rifle B and ammo a right. And, these guys manufacture stuff and they manufacture them to, to whatever the high end performance they want. Well, problem with that is, is when you go find goober ammo, you got all these guys that load to whatever they're loading to. And I don't know about you, but would you trust a guy off the road to hand you something and you'll eat it? Uh, right. Right. I guess like, but here's the thing, like it's really easy for me, I, I have a, such a tiny sliver of firearm-related stuff that I'm actually interested in. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in everything marksmanship. But what I do, like field shooting, it's pretty niche. Carbine, like DMR-style stuff is pretty niche. Loading. But we are a massive minority. And, and when you think about it, like, there's 12 million hunters out there. And I, I'm not saying that they all do this, but my hunch would be there are millions and millions of people who their firearm life revolves around 
that kind of stuff more more than we would like you know we wouldn't do it for competition i mean there's a lot of reasons why why we wouldn't do it because we we expect performance and consistency and so on and so forth but but also just you know i I think at some point maybe there's a obviously there was a a gap in safety knowledge And, and i'm sure that that if we probed i would have a gap in safety knowledge somewhere just like most people, if you probe, you can find a way to say like, oh, here's something you don't know about. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. Like, but, <laughs> but, 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 uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm always fascinated by this because I've, I've never actually been to a gun show. Um, really? I, no, no, never, never been to a gun show. Uh, it just, it just uh, hasn't, just not something I've ever had the opportunity or, or, you know, immediate desire. You see them around and stuff, but but uh, I, I do run across guys at the range who love them. But in this instance, it, w- it was it was it was just impressive to think. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of trust that we have in stuff in general, and here you saw that trust go wrong. And you know, we're talking about old firearms that were manufactured to different standards than they are today. And well, spec is spec. So, I mean, sure. The spec maybe shifts, but you know, it, I, I, I call it the old man, the, the old manufacturers mentality, right? When you manufacture ammo, most manufacturers from a large scale perspective, manufacture ammo to the middle range of tolerances, right? They want to be as close to the center as possible. So if you have something that's like, you know, something that, that, that it's not too high pressure, it's not too low pressure, it's, it's functions. So the vast majority of firearms out there, but, and, and even if most ammo, if you load it to mid tolerance, if you load it to somewhere in the middle, then it'll pretty much function at every firearm. It may not shoot accurately, but it'll, it'll function and it probably won't destroy anything, right? Now, I want to answer your question real quick when we talk about firearms and kind of the strict liability. For anybody who's ever destroyed a firearm, a bad chunk of ammo, and you've been able to reasonably trace it to that ammo, I'm going to tell you right now, I'd be very, very surprised that the ammo company wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to pay for your full gun. I'm going to pay for every replacement, and I'm probably going to send you a case of ammo. Okay? I've had a Winchester round detonate in a gun of mine, and they legit replaced everything. Zero questions asked. I was doing a barrel break-in once. The only time I... And I, I, I use factory ammo all the time. So this was actually like a reputable factory ammo. Um, and at the time, what I was doing is, is like, take a shot, clean it, take a shot, clean it. And so I had, and I got a brand new barrel to test this brand new ammo with. Um, and, you know, I'll take the manufacturer to the grave, but the, because, you know, it's, yeah, we're not we're not here to call people out, but I'm going to say this. But there's but, no but, there's I, no company that's 100 QC. No company that's 100 QC. Shot around, cleaned it. You know, wait a sec. Shot around, cleaned it. Shot around, and uh, there was a squib round. There was just no there was no powder in it, and the barrel, the the bullet was still in the barrel, and um, I. When I when I kind of AAR to myself because because right I'm cleaning it so I'm just I, I push a, the cleaning stuff on there I didn't I didn't even realize it was a squib round like I noticed wow that didn't recoil the same 
Yeah, you're an autopilot. <laughs> that sounded different. But I got ear pro in and I'm, you know, listening to a podcast and I'm just not paying attention like I should. And I remember thinking that was weird, but whatever, you know, like, you know, all the weird stuff that goes through my mind. Like, wow, I wonder if I had like amazing recoil management at that time or, you know, I mean, who, you know, was that a perfect trigger pull? Or, what, you know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I just want to get this out so I can, you know, then maybe shoot 10 rounds or whatever. But I put the, the rod in there and I hit, you know, it's like, what the fuck is that? And then, you know, I, I pushed the bullet out. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like, had I had that happened, um, you know, ten rounds that been later. A, well, had that been in a competition or something like that, that would have been bad if you decided to shoot factory ammo for that because you would have cycled another round in. Yeah, or 10 rounds later because then I was going to do like a string of five and then a string of 10. And I thought, oh my God, you know, so, so, um, A, I texted a guy I knew there and I was like, dude, you'd never believe what just happened. And, uh, that took, I had, I had like three cases of this ammo and, um, oh, they'll tell you to swap it out. I went home and I waited every round <laughs> on, on my, uh, and I literally weighed every round and there was two other ones that turns out didn't happen. And then I pulled a bullet and it's like, shit, no powder in here. And, uh, dude, that freaked me out because I thought, fuck, I mean, I, I've never seen it before. Never, never seen it since, you know, I've heard about it with people that load their own, but this is freaking factory ammo. And, uh, man, I like, I don't know. I mean, well, I don't with I'm, with I'm, the actions and the barrels that I shoot. Like I, I, I don't know what would happen, but I'm glad that I found out that way and not the other way. Well, I mean, you know, you probably have some pieces and bits and stuff stuck inside you. So, I mean, I, I'll say this much to everybody who wants to sit there and buy ammo randomly from people. The best answer and probably the most common answer you're going to receive from anybody who's ever had a, a, uh, out of battery detonation, a squib, uh, you know, double powder load, all sorts of different things, things loaded incorrectly. I'm going to tell you right now, just please, please, please. General answer is don't because the manufacturers that do do things reputably and do th do things in bulk. If you had an issue, I had, I had an issue with the manufacturer one time and I love their ammo and I still shoot their ammo, but I got, I got some of their stuff and it was really, really weird because I started firing rounds and it just like the recoil just got, you could actually feel the recoil scale up. And I was like, what is going on? It's bam, bam, bam. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. And then after about the sixth round, I was like, okay, I, I know something's wrong. here." And uh, what we later found out was, is that line of ammo that came out, I guess they had a bad powder feed or something like that. But it was just dumping extra, extra powder. Like every time it would dump powder, it would dump more and more and more and more and more. And I'm pretty sure if I got to the end of that box, I probably would have had a really, really shitty day. So, um, but, you know, I, I, I explained that. I called the ammo manufacturer up. And this will tell you a little bit about strict liability. I called the ammo manufacturer up. And I said, hey, look, I have an issue wrong with their ammo. Their question wasn't, their, uh, their question wasn't like, uh, well, are you sure it's you or whatever? Their questions were, what happened? And 
immediately after I explained to them, look, this is what happened, and I gave them a reasonable explanation, they turned around and said, do not shoot any more of that ammo, box it up, send it back, we will send you a new set of, a, a, a new box of ammo and an extra one to boot to make you, to, to make you whole for all the trouble you're going to have to go through. And shit. I, hey, uh, I'm getting a call that uh, it's from one of my kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get that. Take it, take I'm it. Gonna have to, we're going to have to cancel this and pick it back up in a sec because it's usually okay. that's not a good. No worries. Uh, we can pick it up some other time, too. I mean, if you want to do that. Okay. I'll hit you up in a minute once I find out what's going on. Okay. One of my big projects and goals is to experiment, play with, and compete in the air gun phenomena that seems to be coming out, but has been around for a long time. Utah Air Guns is at the center of that. They bring in high-end specialty air gun components. They bring in rifle components, and they custom build people high-performance air rifles. Air guns... Uh, often are divisions or used in like rimfire type competitions, but they also have standalone competitions. I believe that when it comes to training certain elements of all rifle shooting that have to do with fundamentals, the air rifle is the ultimate system to do that. So I'm going to be having podcasts and discussions and data unfolding about the use and benefits of air rifles for those specific components and also discuss how they might not help with other components, right? Which makes sense. If you're going to shoot a 338 air rifle may help with some of that and it might not help with other parts. But I think that Utah air rifles is leading the charge. And so I have ordered an air rifle to have in our classes for craft studies, for measurements and for data. And I want to encourage you guys to look into their systems and reach out to Utah air guns, follow them on Instagram and follow us. It will not only be on this podcast, but also on snipers hide. There's a new air gun section, an entire section devoted to air rifles and what people are doing and unfolding so that we can kind of hive mind and source data and then send you back to a shop that can put together a system for you that performs at the level that you needed to perform at, period. So until I have more to say, uh, go check them out and hit up Sniper's Hide, check out the thread, and stay tuned for episodes revolving around or including data from the rifles that the guys at Utah Air Guns put together for us.